morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see you all this morning. Move over a little bit. Uh, if you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, where we've been for the last six weeks. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 while you're t- turning there, Ephesians 2. Um, I, yeah, I just want to say how grateful I am. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful to, to you all. Uh, mostly I'm grateful uh, for the clarity of God's call through you all as a congregation. Because um, that's what I, I believe it is. Like, I really believe God speaks to us. Do you believe that? Uh, that God speaks to us. And, and God speaks to us in a variety of different ways. Um, God speaks to us through Scripture. Like, as we open our hearts and we, like, meditate on Scripture, God's Word comes to us, and He, he speaks to us, and He forms us. God speaks to us um, in that still, small voice in our hearts as we're open to Him, and we listen. We learn to hear His voice from, from the other voices. Uh, God speaks to us sometimes through circumstances in our life, uh, but I believe God speaks to us through people, like through His people, through the church. Um, and that's, I think that's such an important thing to remember. And so I receive uh, your discernment as a congregation, as a confirmation of my own sense of calling and our family's sense of calling, and, um, and receive that and accept it as a call to serve God's mission alongside you all. And so I'm, I'm thrilled and thrilled to, um, yeah, to, to be here and um, to get to share life together. So I guess there's going to be like a kind of a commissioning service at some point. Uh, next couple of weeks, uh, we'll, we'll kind of plan that um, as the days go ahead. But uh, it feels good. Like, personally, I, I want nothing to do with an open-ended life, right? The there's this myth in our culture that says an, an open-ended life, the, the life of freedom, where you keep your options open, like that's the best you can do, right? Is you just kind of, you, you don't make commitments because, right, you, you just kind of keep, keep your options open. And, and I really believe that the deepest joy we experience comes on the other side of commitment to something. Like when we, you can't actually know something unless you're deeply committed to it. And once you're committed to it, and once you take that step, whether you're committed to a, to a person or a cause or a community of people, a church, it's after you make that commitment that you actually experience the, the, the full joy of that. And so, um, yeah, covenant commitments are, are an incredible deal. And so, uh, as a church, I think that's what the church is. The church is a covenant community that we gather. Our primary commitment is to Jesus. But then we commit ourselves. Like, we choose to bind ourselves to each other to say, I'm, I'm yours and you're mine, and we're going to show up for each other, and we're going to share life together, and we're going to put roots down uh, deeply together. And it's on the other side of that commitment that we actually experience the goodness and the beauty of, of what God has in store for us. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be, to be among you all. So, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, we're in the series, week 6, called Ephesians, uh, Flourishing in Life with God. This is what uh, God wants for us. He wants us to grow and flourish and thrive. Thanks to Dennis for preaching last Sunday. Um, Full disclosure, I slept in last Sunday. Um, I'll say say a little bit more about about that, but it's okay. Like, Jesus still loves you. You decide to sleep in some Sundays. Some Sundays, that's what you... What you need, uh, Pastor Sheets. It's very comforting. Um, 
That was a bad dad joke, wasn't it? It's like, now, now that we're committed to each other, now the bad pastor dad jokes get to come out. So I've been holding those back. Uh, but Dennis, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for Dennis's um, teaching last Sunday. Just, you know, this uh, really important teaching of like, if we want peace, like real peace in our souls, we need to know the saving grace of God through Jesus. We need to mourn sin and evil in the world and in our lives. And, and then we get this opportunity to glorify Christ through our, our redeemed nature. So Dennis, thank you. Thank you for that. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three verses. Um, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. And so I tell you what, let's just, um, words are on the screen, so let's, let's go ahead and read that together. Here we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God, we just ask that as we look at your word this morning that you would speak to us. We know that you want to, that you have a word for each one of us. You, you see us in the unique situations of our own lives. You know the longings in our hearts. You know the pain that's there. Uh, you know the... Um, the needs that we have, the physical and practical needs. Um, and so we just open ourselves up to you, trusting that there's no other place we could go to find life. It's, it's all in you. And so, uh, God, we want to receive everything you have for us today. So we give ourselves to you in worship in these moments. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So this text, these three verses are really special to me. And one of the reasons is because when I was in my late teens, I joined the mafia. And again, like I said, as, now that I'm your pastor, I get to like just share. You, you should deserve to hear my full story. So I share the mafia, uh, joined the mafia. But it wasn't like that kind of mafia, like the Joe Pesci, Sopranos kind of thing. It was um, a group called Men of Faith in Accountability. And uh, we call ourselves the Mafia, for short, right? So it was a group of young men um, who wanted to follow Jesus, who wanted Jesus at the center of, of their lives. And so it was great. It was a group that grew to like 25 or 30 people. we get together um, once a week and encourage each other. And we would study. We had some teaching. And we would, one of the things we'd do is memorize Scripture together. And this was one of uh, the scriptures. Yeah, you can uh, just keep that scripture, if you don't mind, on the, on the screen. This, this, these three verses were one of the scriptures that we, we memorized. And so memorizing scripture is such an amazing practice because it takes it from just being a part of like a, a text that's outside of yourself and it makes it a part of you. Like it's within you. It's in your heart and in your mind. Um, and so this text... Right? I, I memorized it as a late teenager, and now, like 10 years later in my late 20s, like, I have been living with this text for so long. Um, and so I, I do want to encourage you, this would be, this would be a great text to, um, to commit to memory, to, to make it a part of yourself. Because these three verses are actually like a summary statement of the whole book of Ephesians. We've said that Ephesians is a, is a sermon. It's... It's Paul just kind of writing this encouraging sermon to these people that he loves. And this is really a summary statement of the whole, the whole sermon. And so I just want to unpack it a little bit. We're just going to walk kind of line by line through these three verses and learn from them and hopefully hear what God has to say. 
Um, so, for it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. So if you have your Bibles, you can underline or circle or, or highlight or whatever the word grace. The word grace. Now, the Bible wasn't written, the New Testament uh, wasn't written in English. It was written in, anybody know? Bonus points. Uh, Hebrew for the Old Testament, yes. Greek for the New Testament. Most of the New Testament was written in Greek. And so sometimes it's helpful, not always, but sometimes it can be helpful to go back and look at like these, what did this word mean in the original language? And so the word grace is the word charis. Charis. And you want to say that with me? Charis. And, uh, and the word means gift. So grace is a gift. That's, that's what it is at its core. It is this, this gift that is extended to us. Grace is unconditional, undeserved, unearned, unmerited gift from God. I mean, think about that. Like that God just extends this grace, and, and we don't deserve it. It's not conditional. We don't earn it. We don't like live up to it. We don't achieve it. It doesn't matter what you got on the test scores. Like there is no merit that is going to make you earn or deserve this gift that God gives. That is grace. And, and it is this amazing, amazing thing that God is gracious. And, and so it's like the sunrise this morning. I, man, I just get to experience it, right? And I didn't earn it, don't deserve it. I just get to appreciate it. Or, or the beauty of life. Or fill your lungs with a big breath. It's grace, right? To just get to experience, to be alive. To be alive. If you were going to look at life just from like a, a purely you know, scientific, statistical perspective. Do you know what the chances are that you are alive and sitting here today? I mean, all the variables through all of human history and everything that had to work out just right for you, for this combination, right, of, of genes to be sitting together to be you sitting in this space. It is, you could not even calculate how small those odds are. And so, sometimes, like, we lose sight of that, and we think, like, wow, like, my life isn't as good as somebody else's life, or the conditions of my life are, are so much harder, and like, wow, why do I deserve, like, this bad stuff happening to me when other people are succeeding? And we miss the fact that my life is a, is a gift. Like, the fact that I even exist is an unbelievable gift. God, he just gives these gracious gifts to people. And John, in 1 John 1.14, it says this about Jesus, that Jesus was the one and only Son who came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. You know the greatest gift that God has ever given? is Jesus. Like Jesus, his Son, the, the, the very presence of God in flesh, coming into this world, coming into the brokenness and the darkness of this world, that Jesus is grace. Like, his whole, his whole being is grace. He is the gift. And everything Jesus did was an act of grace. You, you, you watch the way he treats people and the way he's, he speaks to people and the way he heals people. It's just like grace flooding into the world. But ultimately, the, the greatest expression of grace, of, of the gift that God has given through Jesus, is in his voluntary death on the cross through his crucifixion, through willingly laying down his life to take the, the punishment for the sins of the whole world. I mean, this is where the gift, the grace of God is most clearly seen. So last weekend, um, I had some, some health issues. And um, I 
was having like chest pains for um, just kind of, and, and that's even kind of scary to say, but it was like painful pressure, I would say, in my chest for about four days. And so finally, um, about Thursday, I was like, I need to go get this checked out. So I, I ended up going to my, my primary uh, doctor, and she said, I think you should go to the ER. So I ended up going to the ER at Mercy, uh, the Cleveland Clinic Mercy there in Canton. And they said, ah, we're going to keep you overnight, and we're going to run some tests on you in the morning. Always what you want to hear. Um, and so I ended up spending the night. Um, Carmen was very gracious to, uh, to hang out with me there. And, and so I'm there in the hospital bed at Mercy. And I woke up at like 4 o'clock in the morning on Friday morning. And, I, you know, I'd gone to bed at like midnight. So I should, whatever, I shouldn't have been awake. But I was. And I was pretty like wide awake. And I looked like on the wall opposite the bed. And there, like hanging on the wall, was this crucifix. Are you familiar with the crucifix? It's like a, it's an image of Jesus on the cross. And so I'm just kind of like laying there, looking at it, and I was noticing how it's kind of crooked. Wish I could straighten it. Uh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And, um, but I just, as I looked at it, I'm like, what, well, something strange about this crucifix. What do you notice about it? You zoom in there a little bit. Now, Jesus was crucified, right? He was, he was nailed to the cross, I mean, his hands were nailed to the cross, and his feet were nailed to the cross. But what you notice about this is that Jesus' hands aren't nailed to the cross, but what he's doing is like, is like as I'm laying there in the bed, it's like Jesus is extending his hands toward me, right? And, and that just became a really beautiful thing for me to, to meditate on, to think about in that moment. This is Jesus. This is like an artistic picture of what Jesus was doing on the cross, right? It, he was extending his hands, toward me, toward us, his hands of grace, um, that this is grace reaching out for every single one of us. And it reminded me of this prayer that I found meaningful over the years. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. It's this prayers that God's people have prayed for generations. And here, here, here's this prayer. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. And this is grace. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor, a gift from God. Now, this idea of grace, it is also scandalously in, um, indiscriminate. Right? It is like if, if we accept like, this is what God has done in Jesus. He's extended grace to us, this gift that we don't deserve, we never could have earned, but he just extends it, that we could come within the reach of his saving embrace. It is like God's grace is scandalously, is scandal, boy, I can't even talk anymore, indiscriminate. Which, what does that mean? Well, it means that his grace reaches not just toward us, but toward our enemies as well. And that's a bit scandalous. Right? That if, if I accept this, that this is what Jesus was doing on the cross, is his arms of grace were outstretched as a gift to me, then I have to accept that it's not just to me, it's to, it's to even those people who would consider themselves my enemies, who are different from me, who live in a different part of the world from me, who have a different background than me, who speak a different language than me. And, and this is where the, the grace, it gets so scandalous, but it is so beautiful and it's so powerful that if we are people who receive grace who have accepted this gift that he has given us, then we are the people then who, who refuse to accept 
The idea is that those people are cut off from grace, right? And, and it's, grace is only for, for these people and not those people. But like we are the people, followers of Jesus are those people who push through all those artificial barriers to say, no, 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 everyone has this equal opportunity to receive God's grace, that his arms are extended as much for the, for the soldiers who were crucifying him on the cross as they were for his faithful followers. And in fact, on the cross, Jesus even prayed for the people who were putting the nails into his hands. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So if we receive this grace, like it, it will wreck us. It will change us in a good and beautiful way. And we will become more and more people who, who extend and want to see God's grace extended to, to others, even those who, who we think, wow, man, that person doesn't deserve it. And they're in good company because I don't deserve it either. So it is by grace, the Apostle Paul says, you have been saved. You've been saved. Now, if you remember back from our series this summer, uh, we, we talked a lot about this word. It's, it's the same word that we covered in, in Matthew 8 9 and um, chapters 8 and 9 when we talked about all these healing stories of Jesus. It's the word sozo. You want to say that with me? Sozo. So we can read the word like saved, but we miss that there are all these layers to that. So, so this idea of sozo, it is by grace, by charis. You have been saved. Sozo, it means you've been healed. You've been um, you have been uh, rescued, delivered, redeemed, made whole. This is what God's grace does within us when we receive it. Like, he, he wants to heal us and redeem us and rescue us and make us whole. He wants to take the broken pieces of our life and put them back together in a really meaningful way. Now, if you're like me, I, I grew up in church and I grew up in a context where when I heard the word saved... Like, right, the question is, like, have you been saved? What I heard in my mind was, do you have afterlife insurance? Like, that's what, it, that's what I came to understand it as. Like, what it meant to be saved was, like, am I confident that my eternal destiny is secure so that I know that when I die, I'm going to be with God in his renewed world? <clears throat> and here's the thing. That's not wrong, right? That's a wonderful thing. And that is absolutely an aspect of what this word means, of saved. And so being saved is not any less than that, hear me say that, but it is so much more than that, right? If like it's just this afterlife insurance policy, we're missing out on so much of what God wants to do for us. That... <clears throat> That what that will lead us to is we just kind of sit back and we wait. Like, well, I'm saved. I got my ticket stamped and I'm, you know, like ready to go. And, and we miss out on the meaningful life that God has for us right here and right now. And, and so the Bible talks about being saved in, in, three, in three like ways, in three tenses. The Bible sometimes says we, we have been saved. Like right here, right? You have been saved through faith. The Bible will also sometimes say, you are being saved. Like right now, like you who have trusted Jesus, you are being saved in the present moment, and someday you will be saved. So the New Testament talks about all three of these. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Let's just <clears throat> unpack this real quick. So by, it is by grace you have been saved. Past tense. This is something that happened 
to you in your past, if you have, when, whenever that moment was that you surrendered your life to Jesus, you opened up your heart and his hands of grace were reaching toward you and you received that. And you said, Jesus, like I receive your grace. I can't save myself. I trust you. I am, I'm all yours. Like in, in that moment, the Apostle Paul would say, you have been saved. Like you belong to God. You are a part of his family. His spirit comes to live inside of you. You have this eternal destiny that is secure. Like the Bible talks about that. You have been saved. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those... Or, uh, I jumped ahead one, sorry. Um, you have been saved. But the Bible also talks about it as you are being saved. So there's something in the present moment. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. You hear the difference in that? It's the power of God. So like right now, we are being saved. What are we being saved from? Like, well, a lot. Like God's grace is at work within us here and now today. And God wants to heal us of our hurts, right? Like, there are pains that we experience in, in this life. There, there's loss, right? You talked about loss. Man, and God wants to heal us of our hurts. We want to be saved, healed from our hurts and our pain. God wants to redeem our habits. Like, those, those habits, those patterns of living that, like, we just crave, you know, to... to to fulfill like the desires of our, our fallen nature and God wants to redeem those habits and like turn them into habits that actually lead to wholeness and life and flourishing. God wants to redeem the habits in our life. He wants to rescue us from our hang-ups, right? From, from those, those patterns of, of sin that pull us away from who we were always created to be and he wants to rescue us from those things and he wants to make us whole and holy like we are being saved by God's grace right now as we trust him and as we walk with him and and the good news is and and it is good news but it also requires something of us is that God won't just do this to us that we actually have some say so in it like, we get to choose to either partner with God, to use our free will to partner with God to be healed and be redeemed and be rescued and be made whole and holy, or we can choose to resist it. Are you with me? So, like, this is, this is part of, of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here is this idea of salvation. It is present tense. It is for us in this moment to be being saved. And then, lastly, someday you will be saved. In the future, Romans 13 verse 11 says it this way. He says, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In my early 40s, I feel this, right? Like, spend a night in the hospital. It's like, okay, like, my life is, I'm nearer to the end of my life than when I first believed. It's just, it's just the reality. Every day I live, I'm, I'm closer to that day of being with Jesus. And so there's something about salvation that is yet in the future. Like someday I will be saved. My faith will be made complete. And there is this amazing promise for all who have trusted Jesus that should give us hope that someday the work that God has been doing in us will be completed and we will be with him and we will be like him. Like in the light of his glory, we will be like him because of his work, his grace at work in us. So don't just, don't just think that salvation is like a past experience that I had, 
or just like some future moment and miss the reality that, that the call is actually to, to be saved in this moment, to, to be walking with God, to experience the fullness of life um, here, here and now today. So it's by grace you've been saved. And then he goes on to say, and it's through faith. Um, it's through faith that we receive this. So it's like the picture is the arms of Jesus are the arms of grace extending out to every single one of us. It's a gift that comes to us. And the way we know we've received it is when we trust him. Like through faith. We, we trust him. What do you do with a gift? Like if I was going to offer you a gift today, what would you do with it? Yeah, you'd say thank you. And would you take it? You'd receive it. Yeah, you would, you would receive it. What, what's the best thing you can do with a gift that's being given to you? Is just to receive it, to take it, to, um, you know, to, um, to open your hands. And I think this is what faith is. Like, faith is like taking the hand of the rescuer who's coming to, to, to save us. Like, so, so what is it, like, God invites us to is like he's extending his hand of grace to us and he just invites us to reach out and to take his hand. And that's what faith is. It's trusting ourselves to him, like trusting and believing in him that he is the only one who is able to actually rescue us. This is how we exercise faith. And so um, that's the call is receive this gift through faith. And then he goes on um, and he says, and so this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. He repeats that word again. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we can't sit here on a Sunday morning and say, like, wow, like, we're so great. Like, we've been, we're, we've been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. We're unlike all of those other people out there who, who haven't received God's grace through faith, right? It, it keeps us from that because it is a pure gift of God. It is nothing that we have done to earn it or deserve it. We have just been fortunate enough to open our hands and receive the gift that he has given to us through the grace in Jesus. That's it. Now, have you ever been given a gift that you felt was too extravagant and you didn't want to receive it? Right? Like where it, it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Where it's like, I, I don't know what to do with this, right? I mean, that's a little bit of what grace is like. Like it's such an extravagant gift, right? It's such an extravagant gift that there's a part of us like that resists it. They're like, well, surely I'll like, I'll earn it back. I'll do something. I'll like, I'll make it, I'll, I'll make myself worth it. And, and the good news is like, God doesn't require that of us. He just, he just invites us to receive it. He gives us this, this unbelievable, extravagant gift of his grace. And then he says this. He says, now, for we then, we have received God's grace through faith. We've entrusted our lives to Jesus. We've taken his hand. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are God's handiwork. What in the world does that mean? We are God's handiwork. Um, the word is like, it's literally like artwork. It's something like you would put on display in your home. It's like when you know, our kids, when they were in art class and stuff, you know, they come home and they're like, look what I made. And oh, it's wonderful. You know, hang it up. Thankfully, our kids are very artistic like their mother. So they, we have beautiful things around our house. Um, 
And, and so, you know, you would, you would create something, like it was, it was a piece of their artwork, their handiwork. They created it, and they wanted to put it on display, right? Like, look what I made. And this is the image of what God does with us. Like, God's like, look what I did. Like, look at these people. Look at these, the, the church that I've created. We are God's handiwork. We are God's artwork. We are, are this, this image of grace that God has made, and we are his masterpiece. And I know that sounds corny, and that sounds strange, but the truth is right here in this verse. This is what God does, that he creates us, he forms us through grace, and we receive it, and then God forms us into a people, and he says, this is my handiwork. We are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus then to do good works. God makes beautiful things, right? I mean, we've already talked about it. Like, we're in those, like, two weeks of the year where it's just like, man, you just wish you could freeze every moment when you're driving down the road. Because, like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, like, pessimistic, I guess, because I just, there's this little bit of, like, oh, but they're not going to be as pretty tomorrow as they are today, you know, the leaves, right? Winter's coming. Days are, you know. Sorry for being a Debbie Downer. Um, but you just want to like freeze time because like nature is so beautiful. And, and when you're in the mountains in, in Wyoming and you're hiking, it's just like, wow, you just wish you could stay here for forever. And yet, of all the beautiful things that God has made, do you know what God is most proud of? Humanity. You read Genesis 1 and 2, right? Genesis 1 and 2, it's like God is just presented as, as the most generous, the most gracious, the most loving being that, that we could never even imagine, we could never comprehend. And the beginning of the Bible, this is how it opens. God creates, and he says, wow, that's good. And he creates, oh, that's good. And he's just creating this world, this, this abundant, beautiful creation. And then the pinnacle of creation is when God creates humanity. He creates man and woman in his own image, like with his fingerprints on their souls. And he says, this is very good. Like this is, this is far and above what God sees when he sees the, the clouds and the sky and the stars. In fact, this is what Psalm 8 says. Like when, when I look at the, the heavens, like the works of your hand, like what are, what am I that you are mindful of me? And the answer is he seated us a little lower than the angels. And crowned us with glory and honor. We, as God's people, are God's masterpiece. Like, this is what God has in mind. Now, I want to just take, like, five minutes here and, and kind of zoom out and wrap this up because this is so profound, what he's saying here. Now, do you remember the, the first people who would have heard this letter? What's the letter called? Ephesians. Do you know who it was written to? Right? The people in Ephesus. Like there was an actual city, a region called Ephesus. So if you're going to get in your time machine and go back about 2,000 years, you dial that time machine into somewhere around A.D. 60, right? And you would go to Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of like the major cities in the world at that time in the Roman Empire. Probably second only to Rome as the capital. There are probably somewhere around 400,000 people living in Ephesus at the time. And the, the thing that put Ephesus on the map was the temple of Artemis, right? 
And they would come, people would come from all over the world to worship the goddess Artemis. Now, there had been this meteorite that, that fell from the sky, and, and they, you know, they, they superstition, whatever, but they took it, and he's like, this is like a, an image of the goddess Artemis. And so they built this massive temple, and, and people would come from all over to worship the goddess. And, and Artemis was the goddess of fertility. And so you, if you wanted your crops to do well, if you wanted to have children, you'd be fruitful, you would if you wanted to flourish, right, you would worship Artemis. So this was the deal in Ephesus. And so this was a huge deal for the Ephesian people. People were super, super into Artemis. In fact, just a couple of real quick things here. These are the coins. These are Ephesian coins, like models of Ephesian coins. So you've got the emperor on the left, on the, the one side, but on the back side, that's the temple of Artemis. So their currency, right, had the temple of Artemis on it. It was a big deal for them. Uh, next, slide, uh, next slide is another coin, some dudes on the left, sweet haircuts, and, um, and this is an image of Artemis on the right, right? This is, this is what they believed Artemis looked like. And so even in their, like, their currency, they were, they were like, Artemis was like a centerpiece of what they did. And so it wasn't just in their coins and it wasn't just in their temple, but as people would come to worship Artemis, there was this whole industry that was built up around this um, where they would, these craftsmen, these workmen, craftsmen, would make these little graven images of the goddess, quote-unquote, Artemis, and sell them to people, right? And they would make a lot of money doing it. Now, here's the Apostle Paul. He rolls into Ephesus somewhere around 60 AD, and he starts preaching about Jesus, uh, the Messiah. And, and people start listening, and they start opening their lives up to Jesus, and they receive his grace through faith, and their lives are transformed. They have been saved. They're being saved. They someday will be saved. And people, the, like the whole community of Ephesus is being turned on its head because of like what Paul's doing. He's been there like two and a half years. He's like preaching and teaching, and there are miracles happening. There was this, this one story. You can read about this in Acts 19. There's a story where like these people who were practicing magic arts, and they had these magic scrolls, they were so convicted by the truth of Jesus that they, they decide to burn their scrolls, and they estimated that the value of the scrolls that they burned was somewhere around half a million dollars. Right? They just like count the cost, like Jesus, I'm all in with Jesus. And so this is all happening in, in, you read it in Acts 19, this is what happened when the gospel took root in the city of Ephesus, probably six or seven years before this letter was written. And then here's the account in Acts 19, verses 23 to 29. It says, so about that time, there arose this great disturbance about the way, the way of Jesus. And there was a silversmith named Demetrius, and he made sh silver shrines of who? Of Artemis. This is his job, right? He makes these little silver golden images of the goddess Artemis. And he brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen that were there. And he called them together, all these craftsmen, along with the workers and other related trades around the, the worship of Artemis. And he said to them, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income for this business and you see in here how this fellow Paul has convinced and led so many, led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. This is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he, he says that the gods that are made by human hands are no gods at all. And there's this danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. 
And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the whole province of Asia and the whole world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Do you hear his, his worry here, his fear, that if Paul's message keeps taking root, it's going to put us out of business, it's going to put the temple out of business, it's going to put Artemis out of business. And so verse 28 says, So when they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And they shouted that for two hours, filled this whole stadium that held 200,000 people. And they shouted, they chanted for two hours. This is what the grace of God revealed in Jesus does and disrupts this culture in Ephesus. Are you with me? This is all in the backstory. Now, six years later, Paul's sitting in a Roman prison cell. He's put in prison because of the gospel message, because he won't back down from it. And he thinks about his friends in Ephesus, and he thinks about them carving out this new way of life, these new people living under the shadow of the temple of Artemis, right, and pushing back against the powers of darkness. And he's inspired by the Spirit to write this letter to them. And he begins writing, he begins telling them of, of all the things that God has done. And, and who they are in Christ, and their identity is in Christ. And he gets to this place, and he says, because it is by grace you have been saved, and it's through faith. It's, it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And you, brothers and sisters, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You live in a culture that makes its living by making artwork out of the goddess. But you, brothers and sisters, are the artwork created by God. Do you hear this? Like, this would have been so revolutionary that, like, this is, we don't serve a God who wants us to make artwork of him. We serve a God that makes art out of people that we, this new community formed around Jesus, we are God's handiwork. We are God's artwork as we live and walk in the grace of Jesus. This this is what the gospel does in us. This is what it creates in a people who receive it. So brothers and sisters, we are saved. And we are saved from our sins and we are redeemed. But we are saved for something. We're saved to serve. We're saved to do these good works. We're saved to live out of this new identity that he has made in us. And how do you do that? How, how do you practice this, this God's artwork? I mean, sometimes we think, man, if I'm going to be faithful to God, I, I got to do something big. I got to make my mark. I, want, like, I need to do something big because that's what God does. Is he does big things. And sometimes God does. But do you know what God most of the time does? It's just the little quiet things. It's just the simple acts of service that nobody else sees. It's just the small acts of love. It's just those little nudges that you get in your spirit. You're like, you know what? I should reach out to that person. And you do. And you say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I just want you to know I care. It's the small acts of faithfulness. Like that, like that is the beauty that, that God creates. That when you love someone who's hard to love, man, that is God's artwork. When you reconcile with someone who you've been estranged with, God's beauty is on display. When you forgive someone who has wronged you, it's beautiful. When you're generous to those in need, when you protect the vulnerable, when you make room in your life for people who don't feel like they belong, when you pay attention to people and you honor the dignity of, that God gave them, when you show up for a person who's hurting, when you speak the truth in love to a friend who needs it. And this is God's artwork. 
That's handiwork on display among his people. How we show up and we care for the least, the lost, the lonely. Everything you do matters. Like everything you do matters. And sometimes, again, we can get this idea that like, well, it's what I do in the church. Like when, when the church gathers, it matters. You know what matters? What matters is like the money I put in the offering. Or what matters is the, the, the way I serve when I'm inside the ministries of the church. And those things are wonderful, right? And those, those, are, those are wonderful things. But everything you do matters. It all matters. Like your work matters. Like working with your whole heart as to the Lord, it matters. Like loving your coworkers, it matters. And your neighbors and the ways that you invite people into your home, it matters. Your small acts of faithfulness to Jesus are, are God at work in you and through you creating this beautiful masterpiece, this tapestry of love. So don't be discouraged. Don't be overwhelmed by the big and the loud things of the world. Don't get caught up in the big and the noisy things of the world because God is so often at work in the small things. Be faithful to him, these small acts of faithfulness, to do what God has called you to do, to listen to his voice, to pay attention to the nudges of his spirit because it all counts in his kingdom. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we, brothers and sisters, are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's just three verses. This is going to take us a long time to get through Ephesians. So I want to end with this. I, I, I shared this prayer, but I didn't share the whole thing about the arms of Jesus being extended. I want to, I want to read it, and then I'd like us to pray it if you want to pray it. It says this, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So, clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and the love of you for the honor of your name. Would you pray this with me as we close? Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen. Thank you.